Psalm 61 is our text for study this morning. And here David addresses a, an issue that uh, I think each of us can identify with or have identified with at some point. David is lonely. Maybe we should say more than that. David is all alone. He needs companionship. He needs friendship. He needs help. Need help today? Feeling, feeling alone? Not just lonely, but alone. Surrounded by people. This morning you're surrounded by people. Maybe you're listening to this in the future by by means of recording, and you, you are surrounded by a whole world full of people, but you feel all alone. David speaks directly to your need today when he says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his ears endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him, so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would descend with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes to behold wonderful things from the gospel in this passage written Several thousand years ago, long before Jesus was even born, David was declaring that Jesus is the answer to our loneliness. Turn us from ourselves as well. Turn us and our eyes to the kingdom of God. Give us a greater purpose, a higher, a higher vision than just ourselves. Please, Lord, Rescue us and make us rescuers. We pray in Jesus' name. God's men said together, amen. <clears throat> Several um, months ago, I read some what appeared to be encouraging statistics. According to <clears throat> this research, uh, teenagers in the early 2010s are drinking alcohol later and having sex less often, 54% of the students in 1991, for instance, 54% reported having sex before marriage, and in 2010, the middle 2010s, uh, only 41% reported the same. Those are encouraging statistics until you dig deeper. And find out that uh, while those students are engaging in those harmful activities less often, 
the suicide rate continues to climb. Depression and anxiety among teenagers continues to rocket out of control. These same teenagers are less likely to drive, work for pay, less likely to go on dates, and less likely to socialize without their parents. That may be the most terrifying statistic to you. <clears throat> fewer and fewer teenagers wanting to do things without their parents. But uh, it is <clears throat> due in large part to the increased use of social media. That while we are more connected, quote-unquote, than we've ever been, we are less connected than we've ever been. It's not just a teenage problem. It's a grown-up problem, too. We are addicted to our phones. I have, a, I have a book on my desk. I meant to bring it and show it to you today. It says, What Your Phone Is Doing to You. Uh, the statistics of how often we're looking at it, how much we're tied to it, how much, maybe not so much in this room, how much we are depending on uh, social media to tell us whether we are happy and fulfilled or not. Because we are giving the world permission to vote on our happiness by scrolling through the pictures and, and saying, well, my life is not as exciting as that one. I don't fake vacation like that one. I don't dress like that. I don't I don't drive a car like that. I don't have that kind of career and so forth. This study goes on to say that eighth graders who are heavy users of social media increase their risk of depression by 27%. Eighth graders who, who are heavy users of social media increase their risk of depression, you may as well say, by 30%. On the other hand, those who play sports, go to religious services, or even do homework cut their risk of depression significantly. Well, I don't think it's just a teenage problem, loneliness or feeling alone. It's a problem for all of us, and it's probably a problem for men more than for women. We don't feel the need so much to have, oh, we have our friends, but are we really connected? And the connection is, starts with a connection to God, a connection to the Lord. And uh, not just intimacy with Him, but uh, adopting His mission for our life and for our world, which gets us out of ourself. There's the real problem. There's the you see, the, the more selfish we have become, the more self-centered, the more self-focused we have become, the more depressed we have become, the more disconnected we have become. The more we have, we, have, we have pursued what everybody says we need to pursue, which is live for self, do your own thing, build up your own empire, do what is good for you, the less satisfying it is because we're not made for ourselves. We're made for a greater cause. We're made for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So the psalmist has a very simple solution for us, simple at least in terms of the outline, not so much in terms of living. That the cure for loneliness, the cure for being alone, the cure for spiritual depression 
is focusing on the heart of God and focusing on the reign of Christ. It's a cure. The cure is focus, getting the focus off yourself and on the heart of God, on his compassion, his love for you, and then on his mission for you, on the reign of Christ. Let's look at verses 1 through 4, first of all, where the psalmist tells us something, uh, what is true about us, and then what is true about a compassionate Lord. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Here's the very simple fact. What is true about us? What is true about us is that we are fragile people. What is true about us is that we are without sufficient resources to live in this very dangerous and lonely world. We are in deep, deep need. We are in profound need. And we really haven't heard David talk like this. We haven't heard David this desperate since Psalm 6. I don't even know if we studied Psalm 6. We haven't studied every psalm in succession. But he says in Psalm 6, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? David has hit bottom. David has recognized he's in need. There's the first there is the first thing necessary for the, to, to cure loneliness, aloneness. It is to recognize that you are without sufficient resources in and of yourself to, be, to meet your needs. It's to hit bottom. And yet you know that there are, you've worked with people yourself as I have. Uh, you've worked with yourself in recognizing that you can that people can be on the bottom, but they won't recognize they're on the bottom. We, we talk in some circles about bringing the bottom up to people so that they can get better. If you have, uh, if you have an addiction, we're accustomed to this language in, in the addiction world, addiction counseling world, he won't reach out for help. He won't, he won't ask for help until he hits bottom. I remember my brother, who was an <clears throat> alcoholic for, for many years since he, was, since he was a teenager, and he would tell you this story. Uh, he, he, he was really at the bottom many times before he recognized he was at the bottom. He'd lost two wives. His children had turned on him. He lost his career. He lost all of his money, and he was about to lose his freedom by going to jail, but even that for him was not the bottom. The bottom had to be brought up to him. It came in the, in the, in the form of an abscessed tooth. And he went to the, to, to the dentist, and the dentist said, uh, now I'm going to give you this painkiller for this tooth, but I'm going to tell you, if you drink, now he knows that he knew he was a, he, he, the secret was out in the community, even though my brother didn't think so, if you drink with this pain medicine, you'll probably die. Now, that brought the bottom up to my brother. And for the first time in his life, he said, Jesus, you've got to save me. Now, some of you are not addicts. You're thinking, uh, well, at least I'm not an addict. At least I'm not an alcoholic. At least I'm not a drug. But you're addicted to other things. 
maybe like yourself. And being addicted to self has left you alone. And maybe you've even justified uh, your addiction to self by saying, I'm providing for my family. And yet your family's not feeling so loved by it. They just see you chasing after really your own dreams. And it's the Holy Spirit who has to bring the bottom up to us to say, you know, you are really all alone. And unless you cry out to me, there is no hope, no help for you. This is where David is. I am faint. Uh, he's uh, He's not saying, he's not like those old southern women, you know, I've got the vapors. He is, he's dying. When he says he's faint, he is faint. He is dying. Unless you come to me, I cannot live. That's true about us. Even if you don't feel like it today, it is true of you that you have no resources in and of yourself or by any other means than the Lord. But what is true about us is not true about the Lord. He says, I, please, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Verse 3, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Now, uh, David uh, likes this image of the rock. And if you want to look at at a, a thorough study of God as a rock, it's in Psalm 18. A beautiful psalm that begins with, I love you, O Lord, my rock. When the Bible uses rock, it it, it intends to convey one of three things or sometimes a combination of them. A rock in the Middle East in particular served as a shelter. You know, sometimes you you, you can can see this in the desert today. You see a desert and, and on the leeward side of the Rock is where the moss grows or where a plant may spring up. It's a shelter from that, 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 uh, that tormenting sun of the desert. Um, or a rock can be a refuge, like Augustus' top lady. He found that rock, the, uh, the cleft of the rock when he's hiding from a, from a, a, a storm that had arisen suddenly. Or it can be a foundation. Jesus said, build your house on the rock, not on the sand. With those first two things that are in view with with David here, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you've been my refuge. There's the word. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. My enemies have surrounded me, literally or figuratively. I'm feeling pressed in on every on every side, and so I have to run into a rock to find my, my refuge. But I also need shelter. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge, hear it, under the shelter of your wings. Now, God is the one who is, who is rock-like in that he provides a, a, a tower around you, provides a, a fortress around you. But you can't be protected from him unless you run to him. He's not going to chase you around with the fortress. You need to come into the fortress. You need to say, I have no resources. Lord, please be my refuge, be my fortress, my deliverer. I can't stand up under the 
under the uh, under this hailstorm. I need your shelter. Charles Spurgeon said that on this on this uh, psalm that no one comes to this rock except by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who has to bring the bottom up to us. And if you're feeling that need today, if you're saying, you know, I don't have resources, I've been chasing all the wrong things, I am realizing that I can't provide my refuge and my shelter. I I realize that I have been... I've been pursuing a kingdom other than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you are experiencing that, it's not because you're smarter than everybody else in the room. It's because the Holy Spirit is being compassionate enough and kind enough to come and convict your heart and say, you must flee to the rock. Spurgeon went on to say that there was a... There was an illustration of this, this phenomenon in the northern shores of, of England. There was a place there that was particularly hazardous for ships. And uh, they, would, they would run on the rocks and the ship would break apart and the, the sailors would be cast at sea. And, then, but they would, and they would see the rocks that had, there were rocks protruding from the sea the, the, that were representative of the rocks that, that had destroyed the ship from beneath and so the sailors would see those rocks and say there's my refuge and they would swim to them but they were so slick and worn and mossy that they couldn't get a hold on them and many sailors would would die you know with their fingers scraping the sides of those rocks so a minister becoming aware of that problem with his own hands carved steps into those rocks and eventually, the rough seas wore down the steps and uh, made it difficult just to stand on the steps alone. So somebody else came along and, and drove stanchions, I guess that's the word, into those, those rocks to provide something to hold on to as well as to climb up. And Spurgeon said, that's the Spirit. Jesus is held out in front of you, brothers. He's held out and he said, and you know, intellectually, he's the, <clears throat> he's the one I need to get my refuge from. And yet try as you will, you can't let go of that lifestyle that is disconnecting you from everybody else. You can't let go of that addiction that is cutting you off from other people as well as yourself, whatever that is that is keeping you from Christ, is keeping you from serving the kingdom, you can't think your way out of it. It's the Holy Spirit that comes along and connects you to Jesus. I know that sounds spiritual and ethereal and beyond you, but here's here's the simple way to get from this need to the supply, and that is to pray that God would grant it. Only God is able to grant you repentance, and that just means turning from this way that you're pursuing that is killing you, that is cutting you off, that is disconnecting you. Only the sovereign God is able to turn you from that to Jesus and connect you to Jesus. Because the Bible says... God grants repentance. He gives us a gift of repentance. And so he tells his, his, uh, uh, through Paul, he tells Timothy, for instance, pray for those people in your church who are disconnected, who are living for themselves. 
pray that God would grant them repentance, listen to this, grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth because they are being held captive by the devil to do his will. As long as you remain disconnected, as long as you remain proud, as long as you say, I can do this myself, I can think my way out of this, I can work my way out of this, I can correct this, the devil celebrates because he says, it's exactly where I want you to be. I want you to be deluded into thinking you can be your own man, solve your own problems, fix yourself, because I'll take you all the way to hell that way. I'll take you all the way to destruction that way. Here should be your simple prayer today. Lord, save me. Maybe you've prayed that many years ago. You've walked an aisle. Maybe you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you're a Christian. Yes, but you need continual saving. I don't mean that you lose your salvation. You have to get it back. But you need continual saving from self. You need continual saving from this temptation to... Rest on your own resources. I do. Every day I do. Pastor who is speaking to you today and pleading with you to cry out to Christ is the same one who must every day cry out to Christ outside myself. Because I think I can think my way out of it. Or I can brood my way out of it. Or I can fight my way out of it. Or I can read or memorize scripture my way out of it. But my only way, my only way to get to this rock who is higher than I is to say, Spirit, save me from myself. Take me to this rock who is higher than I am. Connect me, reconnect me, refresh me in Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you say, I don't, I don't see, where, where, why, you're, why are you talking about Jesus Christ here? Because this is David who's writing, you know, a thousand years before Christ. Well, let me show you. Keep reading with me. We go on down to <clears throat> verses 6. Oh, let, before I do that, I've got to show you something else that I just saw when I read through the text. So I've got to, I didn't have it in my notes. Look at, look at what David says when he, he says, uh, let me dwell in your tent forever. Oh, forgive me. Go back uh, to uh, verse 3. Lead me the rock that's higher, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take shelter under the refuge of your wings. David is thinking geographically. You see, these, these psalms are hymns. This is, a, this is the hymn book of the Old Testament church. And so these, David is writing this poetry. It comes to him in the context of worship. He writes it for other people who are worshiping too. And uh, David is imagining coming into the city of Jerusalem, seeing the strong tower, making his way unto the temple mount, and then into the tabernacle. He hadn't built a temple yet, but... He's in the tent. He's in the tabernacle. He comes, into, the, he comes into, the, into that place where he worships God. What I want you to see there is that part of, part of, or one of the tools that the Holy Spirit will use to connect you to Jesus is corporate worship. 
It's as you, as you make your way into the church and you experience the divine drama that occurs in corporate worship every week. It's what will remind you that it's what will reinforce to you to cling to Jesus. Because when you come into a corporate worship service, it, you, you hear the minister call you to worship representing God. He reads from Scripture, come to me. And then you sing, you, are, you do come to him. If you're in our church, we will tell you, lift up your hands because you're never going to do it on your own. Lift up your hands, okay. Oh, maybe this is what I need to do. And then we, we, we bow your head. Why? Because you're not going to do that on your own either. Sing. My heart's breaking. I don't want to sing exactly. Sing. Pray. I don't feel like praying. Right. Pray. Listen to these promises of the gospel. I don't want to. Right. Sit there, be quiet, and listen to the promises of the gospel. We come to corporate worship not as a punishment, but because God reaches out in corporate worship, arrests us, and says, look, I want you, I want you to listen. I'm going to insist that you listen and receive what alone will set you free. Well, now go on to that second point, which is the revelation of Christ. He says in verse 5, You, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before my God. Well, you may think that he is speaking of himself in the third person using the, you know, uh, royal language. But, uh, and there is a sense in which he is asking, of course, he's asking for his life to be prolonged and, and to be saved from imminent death. But he prays for things that cannot be fulfilled in him, like, may he be enthroned forever. No, no matter how narcissistic David was it's at some points of his life, he never thought that he was going to live forever. And he certainly never thought that he was going to reign forever. David is praying this way because by the Spirit he is enabled to look forward to his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and reign forever. It's what he, he says in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, when he gets this promise that, that Christ would be his descendant. And he, he exclaims in that prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, that covenant that's being made with him, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? He did recognize that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that he would need. And that is our need too. See, the, the, the gospel doesn't, the, the good news is not just for your personal private life. That would be sort of pathetic news. But the good news is such that Jesus says, not only am I going to, not only do I want to save you from your loneliness and your disconnectedness and your, and your insignificance, I want to transform you into a kingdom messenger. I want to transform you into someone who will do 
something in this world that will outlast you. I want to make you a part of a movement called the kingdom of God that will change not just the world but the cosmos. I want to transform you into someone ultimately who will rule and reign with me at the great day. This is the this is what the gospel is. The gospel, you, you ask for one thing, Lord, save me because I'm fainting. Lord, save me because I'm alone. But the gospel is so great, it always gives you infinitely more than you even asked for. So David begins by saying, I think I'm going to die. Can you save me? And what he gets is an answer, not only am I going to save your life, I'm going to commission you to do something that will change the world forever. So he, he gets a future focus. If that future focus changes the present. Notice it, verses 5 and 8. Verse 8, first, so I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Look, remember where David started? Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when I, my heart is faint. I'm, I'm in the ends of the earth. I'm in the pit there's no hope for me, he ends with, I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is, this is the end of the worship service. He comes dragging into church. I'm completely alone and hopeless. He leaves saying, I'm going to sing your praises forever because, I'm going to start singing them now because I realize I'm connected to the king who is going to reign forever and he's going to cause me to reign with him. And then look at something else, verse 5. <clears throat> For you, O God, have heard my vows. <coughs> you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. When he gets his eyes off of himself, put on the king, he's part of a kingdom that's going to reign forever. He, he's, he's pulled out of his, his pit. He suddenly remembers, you know, God's been doing this for people forever. For, for, for a long time. My forefathers have testified to this too. I'm, I'm not the first one who's been in this, at this point of need. And God is in the habit of rescuing and setting free from this kind of bondage and setting free to do a, a greater work. This is, what, this is what focusing on Christ in the context of corporate worship will do for you. It'll give you a future focus that will transform the present and make you aware that you're not alone. You're a part of a family. You are as much a part of God's drama of redemption as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Paul and Timothy. God won't let go of you. God is weaving a story through you and with you if you come to him, if you hang on to him. Well, does this stuff work? Does this really work? Does it really work that when you are dependent on Christ, he will, he will lift you from the pit of despond, that he will, that he will comfort you in your loneliness and and transform you into someone who can expand his kingdom. It does work. I was reminded Sunday night when we, <clears throat> we sang a, a new hymn for us. 
for our church. It's a new hymn for, even for our, <laughs> for our denomination. It was written by one of our ministers, not here, but a minister in our denomination named Andrew Brunson. We prayed for Andrew Brunson for a couple of years. He's a, he was a career missionary in Turkey. You may have seen uh, his story in the news. He was being <clears throat> held as, um, as bait uh, uh, as a, a way to try to blackmail the United States into giving over somebody uh, that uh, their dictator uh, suspected of terrorism. And finally, he was released. After two years, in solitary, conf- mostly in solitary confinement, only in the last few months was he in, under house arrest. He was literally wasting away in those few times that we were able to see him by photographs or by video He was growing more and more gaunt. But in his captivity, even while he really despaired of ever getting free, he wrote a hymn. And here are some of the things he said in that hymn. You are worthy. You are worthy of my all. My tears and pain I lift up as an offering. Teach me to share in the fellowship of your suffering, Lamb of God. You are worthy of my all. Adopted as a son, a brother to my king, and I will share in your glory if I share in your suffering. Jesus, you are worthy of my all. But my heart faints. Drowned in sorrow, overwhelmed, make me like you, cross-bearer, persevering, faithful to the end, to stand the trial and receive the crown of life. You are worthy, worthy of my all. This is my declaration in the darkest hour. Jesus, the faithful one who loves me, always good and true, you made me yours. You are worthy of my all. I want to be found worthy to stand before you on that day. With no regrets from cowardice, things left undone. To hear you say, well done, my faithful friend. Now enter your reward. Jesus, my joy, you are the prize I'm running for. Here I am. You are worthy of my all. He didn't say that. He didn't write those words after he was released. He wrote those words while in captivity and after he had really given up hope that he would ever be free. How can he say that? You hear all the same themes we studied today. He he reached out to Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus took his eyes off of his present condition. He was honest about it. I'm fainting. I want to give up. But he put him on the future and said, you're part of a greater kingdom. This will come to an end. You will be, if you're in Christ, you'll be found ruling and reigning with him at the end. Don't give up. Keep persevering. I'll enable you. And you'll hear my well done, good and faithful servant. And while he got his eyes on that future, it changed his perspective in the present. And was able to say, I will sing your praises now in defiant hope. I will sing your praises. Ask the Holy Spirit today to take your eyes off self, put them on Christ, and then transform you into a kingdom messenger. Let's pray together. (coughs) 
Lord Jesus, you, we say with our lips, you are worthy, worthy of our all. We don't always live like that. We live like everything else is most worthy. Would you please set us free from these things that will not last and set us on a mission for a kingdom that will never spoil or perish or fade and equip us and ready us to rule and reign with you and make us contagious in that witness as well that we might share with those around us the good news that they don't have to be disconnected, they don't have to be lonely. They can be part of a cosmic, dignifying mission, the kingdom of Christ. Oh, Lord, set us free today to be rescuers, to be liberators. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.